Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Rail Talk with me, Michelle Craven Faulkner, a partner and rail lead here at Shoesmiths. And today I am very excited to be joined by the one, the only, Lucy Pryor, MBE, no less. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm starting to think I need some new mates because you've all got far too many of these gongs. But anyway, setting setting my jealousy to one side. Um Lucy, for those people who don't know you, and let's face it, I don't think there's many people in our industry that don't, but for those that don't, tell me your name and everything about you, really. Okay, so hello, everybody. My name is Lucy Pryor. I am Business Growth Director at an SME, a small company based up in Doncaster called Trough Tech Systems, which is part of the Hood group of companies. I've been there getting on for two years, but I've known them since they were born, let's say, um, and... I'm a bit of a geek for everything rail, supply chain, and especially SMEs. Fearless, and that's why we get on so very, very well, 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 amongst other things. But that's a completely different podcast for a different day. (laughs) Exactly, yeah, the sequins are in force today. So then, let's start. So you're working for an SME at the moment, and I know that SMEs are kind of one of your passions, aren't they? So um, why are SMEs so important to the rail supply chain at the moment, the railway family. Why are they so important? Well, let's step back first of all. When we talk about SMEs, that's such a massive bracket. If you look at the definition of an SME, it can literally be anything from a from a one-person band, a single setup, right through to something that's, what, 250 million turnover or something? So that bracket is a little bit generic. So when I talk about SMEs, I'm tending to gravitate towards that S end of the scale. So whether it's social enterprise, startup, scale-up, or... You know, an SME that's been more that's more established. So TTS, for example, Trofto, where I am, we're twelve years old now. I've been trading 10, 11 years. It's that bit. It's it's that end of the supply chain where you've got small groups of people doing perhaps more niche products and services, but that can be applied across sectors. So there are so many smaller SMEs who either depend solely on rail and want to diversify, or who, by their very nature, are serving across multiple sectors anyway. I'm going to name drop now. This is something I pointed out to Hugh Merriman just last week. You can't, you can't just say they're an SME in rail. Where I want to talk about the smaller companies who are either very niche and dependent upon rail, or who have all who have just evolved into being uh-huh. multi-sector just by necessity. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really interesting point though about the whole SME thing because you're right. I mean, you know, I I quite regularly will try and bring in the reference to micro (laughs) businesses as well because it is you might have one or two people who've come up with a fantastic idea and they sell it to a network rail or they sell it to one of the rolling stock OEMs and that is their business and they're entirely reliant on those customers and their life as well it ends up being their life absolutely absolutely and you know compare that to somebody that has got that top end of the M side of SMEs and it's a very very different business it's it's very different and there's very different needs and and kind of a friend of mine who who is an SME you know as he said he's the person that wins the orders does the payroll you know makes the cup of yeah. teas um you know does the contract negotiation and then puts the bins out that was exactly the point I was going to make as well so um oh gosh our industry is awash with meetings and events and conferences and something I try and point out regularly to people in the end, the larger end of the SME scale or the multinationals and so on and so forth, that you take one person out of an SME, you're actually probably taking six or seven functions out of that business in any yep. one day. So I will also take out the bins and make a cup of tea mm-hmm. whilst trying to bring in new business and so on and so forth and do the marketing. So I think that's something else that 
the larger companies within the supply chain need to be aware of. When you're talking to an SME, you're talking to one person, but you're talking to multiple disciplines within that organisation, so please be cognizant of their time as well. Yeah. And and I think that's that's where it does get difficult when we start looking at, you know, trade missions and things like that as well, when people talk about the benefit of exporting. And again, it's like if you're taking somebody out for a week to go and investigate a market that they might, they don't even know if they're going to be able to sell into yeah. it, you know, it, it, it's, it's really quite difficult. So I think that there are some very clear challenges um, to SMEs. But when we then look at why they're so important to the supply chain, I mean... They're all a bit ace, aren't yeah. they, really? Yeah. <laughs> the people-led, people-led, people-bothered, and they really care about what they do. And I think it's because, this is probably going to sound a little bit cliched, because we've got that proximity to our entire team. Nobody's just a number on payroll. Everybody is, you, you know their kids' names, you know their mum and dad's names, you know what they do for fun, because you've got that proximity to people. And you, 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 wrote, you talked about the railway family earlier, you have your own little subset of railway family at home or manufacturing family if you want to, make it more applicable to us. So you've got that proximity to the people with which you work. You've got that very day-to-day role because you are doing a little bit of everything unless you are very specifically assigned to a function within the business. And and that is representative of SMEs, not just in real, but everywhere. Is it so was SMEs make up like 96% of the turnover UK PLC? Mm-hmm. That with a vast majority of employees across the entire country. We have to maintain that at the forefront of our mind. We have these huge brands. If we look at our sector, you know, Network Rail, HS2, TFL, you've got all the train bullers, which are massive international names. They are huge. They are not as huge as us as uh, as as a as, as a family. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I mean, you know, the government set back in 2015 a target across the entire public spend as to what it was going to spend in terms of SMEs, and the target was. Um, a pound in every three pounds by yes. 2020. Now that was missed. I think we can all point to the fact that, that there was something going on um, in 2020. <laughs> a little, a little bit busy. Um, and we won't get into the political side of things as to where money perhaps went instead. But, you know, that was extended to 2022. And I think in the main, most departments have missed that. Well, interestingly, I was chatting to, I still call them Bays, Department for Business, Business and, and Trade. And yep. Sorry, chaps. <laughs> <laughs> um, the as was the Bayes SME plan and DFT have something similar, that's looking specifically at their spend with the SME supply chain. And then if you correlate that out to, for example, Network Rail, they have set their own targets for direct spend with SME, but actually a large part of that target is for indirect SME spend as well. So whilst the organisations at the top of this food chain, and I'll call it a food chain on Mm -hmm. purpose, they're demanding that there be money spent within SMEs a lot of the responsibilities push down one or two tiers. Yeah. And and it's that whole engagement piece. And I go back to a person from an SME having multiple jobs. You then got to think about the practicalities of, we've got CP7 lots coming out now. So I myself, I'm approaching all the framework contractors on all the regions, yep. on all the opportunities. That's a lot of legwork. I'm not complaining because I love it. Um, but it is a lot of work. I don't know if there's a way of streamlining it, but again, it's that awareness as to how much work is involved in. And I don't just mean direct selling, I just mean relationship building. Because especially in rail, I've looked at other sectors, I've spoken to friends in other sectors, we seem to really do have that railway family, that relationship connection. People buy from people, people deal with people. 
we've got a lot of people to stay in touch with and maintain relationships with. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of going back to the thing that we've said about, you know, the fact that it's multidisciplinary when you're an SME, I think that that is, is a real benefit that SMEs can bring into any supply chain in any sector is that whereas in some of the larger organizations you'll have like well that's our innovation team well that's our R&D team well that's you know that's where we go and do that that development yeah. work that just happens with everybody in an SME you know they because number one the the organization isn't big enough to have those separate departments but also the way that they can look at their margins the way that they can look at their profit the profitability is to be innovative and that doesn't necessarily mean you know creating the next new fantastic thing it might just be changing the methodology of something that they've been doing for years well perfect example so we're working this is not a plug but it's going to sound like a plug um <laughs> plug we, away <laughs> plug away so amrc the advanced manufacturing research center in sheffield part of sheffield university we've been doing some amazing work with them that's looking at our process flows i kind of call it kaizen our manufacturing processes and it's applying that scientific edge to what we're just doing on the day-to-day and artism we say it's artisanal manufacturing because it's a lot of it is it's pure hand labor are there ways to automate it are there ways to take out some of the heavy lifting uh, in a generic sense and it's so exciting to be able to do things like that and pretty much every person in the company has got a touch point with that as well so a really cool thing about not having an r&d department is that everybody from i don't know liam that works on the shop floor who's just turned 19 through to gary who's the md Every single one of us within that spectrum has got some relevance to the R&D that's yeah. going on. That's really cool. And that means that everyone can input into it as well. And that's a really important point about R&D. It's, gosh, what is it, rebel ideas that Andy Haynes always recommends? You know, the psychological safety and, and the creating an atmosphere in which everyone can have a say and an input. That's, yeah. That's, it's, it's innovation as a culture rather yes. than a separate department. Yeah, it's, definitely. it's the fact that everybody feels that they can raise new ideas and, and have discussions yeah. and you know, whilst in larger organisations, you're, you're bound to have those, you know, employee idea kind of things. Of course, you're going to have those, but it, it doesn't happen perhaps as organically as it would do in a smaller business. Yeah. So we've spoken a lot about kind of why they're important to the supply chains. We know they, they make up a large part of the supply chain. But I think we can't talk about SMEs at the moment without mentioning the fact that there are some challenges now there's challenges there's challenges to, to everybody so let's get kind of the the, the bog standard applies to everybody out the mm-hmm. way so we had covid we had brexit still not 100 percent sure we fully appreciate the extent of, of what that is now brexit freedom bill um is, is going to trigger and take effect at the end of this year and there are some rail regulations that that will be impacted but nothing i think that should cause us any concerns at the moment um there's a war there has been global economic crisis. There has been a global raw materials crisis. Um, so that's them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, that's, so that's what everybody's that's all faced. Of them. <laughs> but then for rail, there's then others on top, aren't there? Yeah. And, you know, it, there's, there's a lot of talk. I mean, you know, I'll very quickly mention that there, there is a large amount of industrial action which is happening, which doesn't necessarily help matters from a public perception point of view not going to talk about that anymore but from the but from let's let's split it down because the problem of course with rail as well is that everybody talks about rail and and thinking it's one tiny little sector and it's not it's absolutely 
stonkingly huge. So why don't we talk about first challenges for infrastructure? So let's pick on infrastructure first and say, what do you see the key challenges being for an SME in infrastructure? You are one. So what what are the key challenges for you? Cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. And that's not from a greed perspective. Um, I... I very often, very candidly have the conversation that I see my job, my my title is business growth. And we describe that as growth for the company in every way. So it's not just about building an order book and and bringing in the orders. It's about also growing the team and growing the people within the team, helping them develop. But ultimately, I put my job, my job, my job is to protect my colleagues' jobs. Without those forward orders and without building them up as individuals as well, I can't sustain their jobs. Um, in a previous role, I used to work at a company called Three Squared and the marshal, I will always plug her because she's phenomenal. She um, really took me out the importance of the triple bottom line. So people, planet, profit. Got to look after your people. You've got to have a financially sustainable business. All of that together should help you then build a business that's sustainable in the environmental sense as so well. Um, but going back to the, the specific question, the challenge for SMEs in infrastructure, and I'd argue probably in, in the rolling stock side of the industry as well, is if we don't have that visibility of what's required, we can't invest in plant, we can't invest in people, we can't invest in um, upfront R&D heavy spend, not because we don't want to, because we've not got that certainty. And I know and I understand there are figures within Network Rail and GBR who are sick to the hind teeth of hearing the phrase pipeline uh-huh. so whether we call it pipeline forecast forward requirement whatever it is if we know what's needed and we have a degree of certainty we're willing to invest in it ourselves and that's the we the generic supply chain we not just us but without it we're gambling and if we're part of the crux of the economic growth that sunak wants we need it's it's cyclical we've got to look after one another and i argue a lot that there are changes made or pauses or delays created departmentally and without wishing to cause anyone any offence, those those delays created in Whitehall, let's say, they don't know the trickle-down effect. It has It's that ripple effect and it's jobs at risk because people in the corridors of power are, I'd argue, too far removed from the real day-to-day. Mm-hmm. No, I, com- I completely get that. And you, you say the visibility side of things is, it, it covers so much you know as you say the r&d it's the, also the creation of new ideas as well it stifles that because you know you you could go away and come up with the best idea but if there isn't a market for yeah. it then you've, you've just wasted some time and energy in doing that and there are definitely some rail businesses out there doing that and you, you just have to look at kind of porterbrook and the hydroflex and revolution and the light um, the very light rail vehicle and things like that you know that kind of innovation is going on but arguably being done by businesses with with you know the ability to have that that investment Comfort both in, behind them. in time and in money yeah um you know the, as you say the visibility and actually you you made the point earlier on about the cp7 um procurement process that's going on for network rail and the fact is i speak to so many people at the moment who are saying that they are doing tenders for the various regions all at the same time mm-hmm. So that means any other work that they're doing just kind of has to stop because they have to focus entirely on tendering. And we all know how fun tendering can be when you've got some very, very tight timescales. Yeah. And and so it is that... Rec- and then it's also that recognition that if, if a tender's got to be in within, I don't know, simple math, a month, mm-hmm. and that tender has then gone down to a tier one and that's gone down to a tier three, you know, tier two, by the time you get to a tier three, T four... 
the time that they've got to do the tender is so condensed yeah. that that you know they don't know when it's landing because they haven't got that direct access to the ultimate customer. Yeah. They they don't know what the scope of it's going to be for exactly the same reason and then it's a case of well if you want to be involved in this tender you've got to turn it around in 3 days, 4 days. And so absolutely when you then find tenders and procurement exercises are cancelled or stopped or going to be reconsidered there will be SMEs out there that have invested time and sometimes they've had to bring in support to help them do those tenders as well and absolutely as you say it's that kind of recognition of what this ripple effect is um, when changes like like that are made. And, and there you've got a messy dad catch me there sorry I, I also feel for the tier ones in that tendering process because the value of the time spent on spinning multiple tender applications all at the same time runs into the millions. The yes. amount of people spent on that, like you say, they're, they're constrained in terms of deadlines and what they can cascade out to people as quickly as possible. Yep. Flip that around. And we've been talking about this for years. Um, so another uh, another name check, Ingrid Norman, where she was still in the Eastern Region before she, trans- when she went over the transition team. She ran a series of events whereby she'd get a clutch of smaller companies and a clutch of tier ones uh, she, this was during lockdown, so she was virtually in a room and we'd speak about what are the problems with supply chain and time and time again, we'd have tier one saying, we don't have enough time to get the information out and to shop around, which in itself uh-huh. therefore stifles innovation. Obviously, as, as an individual company, you don't necessarily want competition in the market, but if you're a responsible SME or a responsible trader anywhere within the supply chain, there's a value in competition because it keeps us on our toes. It keeps us agile. Absolutely. So if your larger bidders do not have time to look at what else is available on the market, what's new on the market, what can be brought in collaboratively, mm-hmm. nothing changes except the fact we've not got enough time. Yeah. And I was just going to make that point about the collaboration as well, You know, especially when you start looking at the really small SMEs because, again, and I'm not going to stray too far into the area of the contracts, but some of the risks involved in some of these contracts are relatively significant. And if you're an SME, you know, it, it's a case of, well, I either sign this and, you know, if I mess it up, then my business is gone. Which we just said is also potentially their life. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you want to mess your life up? Or they don't sign it. And, you know, I'm probably straying more into the rolling stock side of things at the moment. You know, the, the pipeline visibility there is very low. So I either don't sign that contract and I potentially lost my business anyway if I can't diversify. So the ability for people to start looking at collaborative working, which would help minimize some of the risk exposure in the contracts. And actually, and then you've got you've got more chance of that working together to develop new ideas and oh well, hang on, that's your piece of kit. If I did X, Y, and Z to my piece of kit, then oh look, we've created something different. Yeah. You know? So, so there's there's a lot there, and I think everything you said there on the infrastructure side is absolutely right. And I just touched on the fact that for the rolling stock side of things, it's it's quite barren out there when you when you look at potential new rolling stock orders. Yeah, actually. Um, and I was talking to somebody the other day when we kind of look then at the flip between the rolling stock and the infrastructure. We we've said for ages that you know rail is the most environmentally friendly way to move people and goods. Tick, big tick, yay us. The problem then is, of course, is that we are going to get to a point, though, where lorries are going to become a lot more environmentally friendly. We need our infrastructure to catch up with the way yeah, that technology is. Absolutely. We need that support to reprove 
our viability as the most environmentally friendly solution. We need to look at the whole last mile stuff. We yep. need to look at more cargo by rail. We need to look at multi-purpose vehicles in the cargo sense, not in the MPV sense for network rail. How do we use rolling stock vehicles in a more diverse way to serve more clients, different clients at the same time, getting those parcels into city centres to remove the HGVs off the road? We might have... Um, better engines, we might have cleaner fuels, but ultimately the more we can do to improve air quality in city centres, improves the lives of our citizens. And ironically, it's been proven that if you've got better air quality, looking at the pandemic we talked about earlier, you're less susceptible to pandemics uh-huh. or to illness in general. So this is, again, it's, it'll be a regenerative thing for society. It'll make our lives better if we do it. And something that I think we can all be guilty of at times is we talk about network rail or an OEM as our client actually we're our own clients that's a point I make time and time again so everything we do is essentially self-serving mm-hmm. it's about helping us travel better more sustainably more efficiently but also having a better life there is no planet B <laughs> <laughs> well this is this is true um I mean and, and you know going back to that infrastructure point and the fact that we do need those changes being made to the infrastructure so that we can keep up I was talking to somebody the other day who was saying that there is, I'm not going to say which network or which region or anything like that, but but they do need some new vehicles or they will need some new vehicles. And the way it's looking, they will have to be ordering diesel, which in 2023 is crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And I know that the costs of electrification are immense. Um, we've, We've seen that there doesn't seem to be a silver bullet to revolutionize that at the moment no. um but we can certainly be looking at some of the the shorter journeys and and looking at how we can use hydrogen use batteries use whatever else whatever else it is so that we can and i think that that's where smes will really come into their own to help with that process yeah um but having that visibility means that as, you, as we've said they they can't do the innovation they also can't upskill their workforce yeah but we also need to be very careful that we don't upskill the workforce too much because we are still always going to have you know freight wagons that need people with spanners and i'm completely doing anybody that does maintenance or repair works on a, on a freight wagon like a huge disservice um Ex- exceptionally experienced mechanical engineers we're never gonna not need them we'll always need that mechanical know-how but at the same time we've got to we've got i'd say um consecutively we've got to look at how we protect that knowledge how we protect against that brain drain because it is happening we've still got an aging workforce but at the same time we can't shy away from the fact that the grid as it stands now cannot serve a fully electrified railway we cannot get away from the fact that we're rushing into battery technology, but we don't yet necessarily have the recycling capabilities. Recycling is something I really do care quite a lot about uh. as well, uh, in layman's terms. So we've we've got to look at where our shortfalls and challenges are and address them. And it goes back to the point where we said about innovation earlier. There are people, there are companies with amazing ideas. We've got to make sure that we're innovating against a recognised need. Otherwise, we're selling concepts. And I've done enough selling concepts to never want to do that again. <laughs> if we've got challenges, we've got energy challenges across the entire industry, what can we do to combat them whilst protecting that skills bank that we have that we need in mechanical engineering, for example, or electrical engineering as well, all of the engineers? Well, and it's not just protecting the bank either, it's encouraging because, yeah. because I think that that's an area where we 
fall down. What was I said earlier? Public perception. <laughs> well, that, absolutely, you know. And and for many years, I was I was a governor at a uh, a STEM UTC, and it was made up of planes, trains, and automobiles. They were basically the sponsors, and. You know, it, you probably wouldn't need many guesses to guess where rail came on the list of, oh, when I grew up, I want to be a, you know. Um, and, and I think that we've we've actually as a sector done a really good job at showing the breadth of work that there is in the rail industry. But it still needs, it still needs, and this goes, this harks back to a, a, an early one of these rail talk that I did with with Simon Higgins. Simon Higgins, yeah. Um, where we were talking about the rail marketing board. But, you know, again, it's, we need to encourage when we talk about the competition side of things. We need to encourage SMEs into this market. We need we need businesses to look at this market and say that is a market that I want to be involved in. You know, it's it's looking at innovation. It's looking at environmental sustainability. Yeah. It's looking at all of these things. It's marketing that bigger picture. So um, we participated in a STEM event. It's called Get Up to Speed with STEM. It's a magnet in Rotherham, March 2024. Okay. Please do come to it. I really want the railway there. Yes. Um, we literally turned up with some of our products with an example of the amount of household plastic that gets turned into one of those products. And it's just something as straightforward and bog standard as that. Kids' eyes lit up. And we had geography teachers like, oh my word, we've been talking about single-use plastics and microplastics in the ocean. So we we know that there's a burgeoning interest in the green economy and in green skills. And we all have arguably a part to play in that whole green skilling up. Um, if we can properly communicate within this rail or wider transportation sector, if we're looking at public transport as a whole, we need to look at the end-to-end journey. Uh-huh. If we can market that and the positive impacts that work in that sector can have on our neighbours' lives, not just our own lives, I think that's part of it. Help helping open people's eyes up to the really positive impact their work could have on our existence. What was that about the Rail Marketing Board? Can I have a job, please? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we need to be speaking to GBRT too to see if there's if there's a department that we're missing at the moment. Because <laughs> I right, so we've I've just mentioned GBRTC. Yeah. What can GBR do as and when it's established? What can GBR do to support the SMEs? And I should at this point say that there is a great SME champion in the form of Paul Harwood, who's who's doing great things as project um, director there and and kind of looking at the SME side of things. Yeah. But moving forward, what, what would you like to see GBR do from an SME point of view? What I'd like to see it already doing is working hand in hand with Network Rail now, but being separate to it. So working with it, but maintaining a separation to look at the overall procurement culture because we are, we traditionally do the go for three, get three prices, go for the cheapest. I understand in basic economic terms why you would do that, but we're also being pushed. Network Rail, for example, they say it wants 70%, I think it is, of its supply chain to sign up with science-based targets. Yep. Um, and there's a cost associated with that. So, you know, do you want your SMEs to take on that cost and then pass it on in its products and services? Because it's going to have to do that to survive. So think about the things you're asking your supply chain to do before you make it eat it. Yeah. But then at the same time, please educate your procurement teams. And I feel, you know, whether you're um, buying to build a train or buying to build a network, Generally speaking, and don't want to do anybody a disservice again, you're buying off part numbers, uh-huh. so whether it's pads numbers or whatever it may be. And if you have to buy umpteen different items 
it's natural that you that part number, that unit price, that's the cheapest bingo. However, we've got to look at the value add. We've got to look at the whole yep. life cycle cost, the whole carbon cost. So what's the full value of that product at the end of life? Because quite often buying cheapest, you know, we see it in our own homes. We, we've learned that you don't always go for the stripey supermarket brand. You go for perhaps one or two. You go for what you can afford Fair that's going to serve you best. And Fair. we need to apply that methodology to industrial procurement because we can't go on buying cheapest the entire time. And that responsibility of passing SME spend down through the tiers, that's got to be done in conjunction with the larger players as well, which goes back to that whole engagement piece and giving people more time. I'm not saying you want the luxury of two years to tender something because that in itself is going to yeah, present its own challenges. Yeah. But we, we've got to work more collaboratively and think really what's the end goal? The end goal is that sustainable railway that moves people and products more efficiently and more environmentally friendly. How do we do that together? It's not by buying the cheapest. No, I completely agree with that. And, um, you know, as you and I were talking before we started recording this, we've we've got the new Procurement Act coming into mm-hmm. force early next year, which, well, no, could be enacted early next year and then come into force in late October next year. And that does look at social economic value and, and, and does cover a lot more of these things. And presumably that will then flip over into rail because people like Network Rail and GBR and you know, potentially the talks will all fall under that contracting authority piece. Um, so it'd be very interesting to see how that is translated into rail, especially seeing as part of that uh, that that new procurement regime is the single accreditation, which is something which is the bane of many people's lives in the rail sector. In that, well, you know, just because you're accredited to be a network rail supplier doesn't mean you're accredited to be a TFL supplier, an HS2 supplier, or a you know, Transport for Wales yeah. or a Mersey Travel or whoever else it may be. So I completely agree that level of streamlining is something that, and consistency of approach is something that is going to be really important for GBR to tackle. And the fact that they are looking at it now and engaging with SMEs now, I think yeah. is really promising. Um, there's a lot of stuff coming over the hill. You know, we've got CBAM, I've said it again and I've now got to remember <laughs> the title of it, the Carbon Borders Adjustment Mechanism. There you go. Thrilling. So um, yeah, very exciting stuff. But but that comes into force for the EU in October and that will then start having an impact over the next couple of years. And essentially that's going to be a levy on goods that we import into the EU from the UK or from elsewhere um, if, if it would be cheaper environmentally for them to be sourced within the EU, well, it's of no surprise to any that the UK are looking at their own version of that at the moment. And I would imagine that that will play, I'm not a betting person, but I would imagine (laughs) that it's going to be very similar to the EU um, version, which then creates its own issues as to, well, what, you know, does it apply to fully assembled bits or is it to components? Is it to raw materials? Because if you've got businesses based in the UK that are that may have subsidiaries in Europe and you're passing between the two yeah. this this could get very expensive and i think it's it's again it's that recogn- gbr and others being able to recognize that the smes are going to need some support yeah through all of this it's an interesting one for smes at the moment isn't it yeah. i think the 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 potential and the rewards for smes are huge 
but I, I feel as if at the moment where rail is, and we are talking just about rail rather than any other sector at the moment, I think that there is, dare I say it, that potential limbo we're in at the moment. Yeah, it's, I'd say it's, it's really confusing for anybody right now who isn't, let's say, carbon literate. So I've got my own interest in everything environmental, but it's self-taught. I am not an expert. It's what I've picked up along the way. Um, at some point, I'd like to professionalise this somewhat, but I'm six departments already, as, as we discussed <laughs> earlier. I don't have the time. So I've done my own carbon literacy course and I've got colleagues running it right now. But you, you've got, even if we look at where we are now, we've got a supply chain sustainability school. They run countless webinars for construction that can apply to rail. And then I know that George is doing an awful lot on um, kind of carbon measurement tools for RSSB and do we do we need sustainable training specific to rail I'd argue not because we could again just fall into that little pocket of just being in our own little echo chamber we've got to learn from and teach other sectors Um, we talk about net zero carbon footprint decarbonisation what's 2030 what's 2050 it's a minefield Uh there's so much to learn and it's really cool stuff to learn and we absolutely should be doing it and those companies who are just more naturally leaning towards this who are genuinely interested in this stuff it's arguably potentially easier for them but as PPN 06 2020 onto social value and decarb are already coming into force anyway they're not yet imposed upon that sub sub supply chain but I firmly believe that the tier ones are going to start pushing down they're going to need to show that comparative weakening their supply chain into their tenders and I fully support that but in that wider supply chain we do need guidance we do need some sort of it's signposting it isn't is, it yeah there's so much to go at and i don't know what to look at first sometimes and, and it covers a multitude of things the signposting i mean i i have a number of um clients and contacts that will say to me that when it comes down to potential funding streams as well it's the signposting it's just a minefield out there nobody and again going back to the fact that you might be you know running the canteen and putting the bins out and trying to win the work having that time to dedicate to to pick up all the new pe- the new requirements the new standards the new legislation the new whatever else it, it could be is really quite difficult yeah having that time to be aware of what help is out there could be a job in itself and there are some companies who aren't at the SNs or there are very few at the SN who actually employ people even if it's on a part-time basis to grant scan basically um but you've got to be really brave to do that and really know that once you found a grant or a competition that's relevant to you, that you've then got a really good chance of winning it because first of a kind, SBRI, fantastic. They bring phenomenal change into the industry, but the scoring criteria, it's so hard to win as it should be. But like I say, you've got to have real confidence in what you're going for to make it worthwhile. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> There's a lot going on. Yeah. There, there is a lot going on. I mean, I think if we just summarise just where we are, you know, there, there are lots of opportunities for SMEs in the rail industry. Yeah. The, the problem is, is that unless you are close to seeing what they are, they must feel like a very, very long way away. Yeah. Um, I, for one, am really excited about the introduction of Great British Railways to have that guiding mind that I think has been missing. 
Well, the for biggest thing for me there is the whole systems thinking and not having the vehicle separated from what it runs on, to put it in really basic terms, to put them together and make them perform as a as a conjoined entity, as a joint entity. As rail. As rail, yeah. Which is how anybody that's not in the industry sees it yeah. anyway. Well, Colin Flack, my boss at Rail Alliance, he always used to point out the fact that we look at aviation the companies that build the aeroplanes aren't necessarily responsible for laying the tarmac on the runways. We have highways. Highways aren't necessarily linked to the people that are building the cars. Here we are intrinsically linked. Uh-huh. And so hopefully GBR will make that make that linkage much more proactively and ultimately better for that end client, be that passenger or freight. Fantastic. So there we go. So, so just a simple ask for anybody from GBRTT that's that's listening to this. It's uh, it, it's basically if you could just solve all of those issues, yeah, then that would be please. fabulous. And then obviously make Lucy the head of the Railway Marketing Board as well. Bingo, <laughs> Lucy. It's been a pleasure. Thanks it ever has, so much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>